This is Strange Assembly episode 191, Sigh. Well, because why? Why would we want to give top billing to the fact that we're going to talk about the Kenderspiel winner? Let's just let's just put Scythe in the title, right? I agree, Scythe all the way. We as a group must be way too excited about Scythe because like three of us have copies of it. Although I guess that's a little bit misleading. No, uh, three, three, yeah, three of us have copies, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of them's a review copy. One of them is a you were a playtester copy, and one of them is a Kickstarter copy. Well, tech- technically, I haven't gotten my uh, pro. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I do still have my prototype for playtesting, but I also did kickstart it, so I did get the collector's edition out. Oh, well, I, I already see people selling those for like a billion dollars. Well, or at least maybe- trying to. I guess I haven't verified whether or not they've been successful, but they probably have. There's probably a few that have been successful. I haven't. Yeah. I actually haven't looked at that yet. Anyhow, uh, so that is Matt Sandlin. Good evening. And I am Chris Stevenson. You're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. So today we're going to be talking about Scythe, Stockpile, and Isle of Sky. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna kick it off with Scythe. This is the fourth. This is the fourth Stonemeyer game, game, uh, right? Fifth? Beta culture. Well, f- fourth, Euphoria, between two cities, and then this. Is it only four? I guess so. Four, yeah. Yeah, well, because Tuscany was the expansion, so it is. Expansions are not their own games, Matt. You know. Expansions don't count. So kickstarted like all of them. Uh, gorgeous production values like all of them. So. Uh, Scythe is, I think, reasonably, they've described it as Terra Mystica meets Kemet. It's in that you've got very a very light version of Kemet's kind of combat, and then you've got the element of Terra Mystica where you have a board, and as you pick stuff up off your board, your stuff gets better. Yes. So that's that's kind of what's, what they mean by that. It is a action selection area control game i guess resource, yeah. resource, management, resource, man, resource management right yeah the theme it's got gorgeous artwork and it's in some sort of alternate universe eastern europe and one player is an iteration of russia and one player is you know the nordic countries and one player is germany and uh somebody's poland and then i think crimea yes crimea and so it's got this really interesting vibe of sort of Eastern European peasantry, then with mechs. Giant, giant mechs. Yes, and, and each each empire has its own uh, distinctive sort of mech. So in this game, you start off on one edge of the board, and there is an old factory in the middle of the board that is a very valuable target to claim. And you start with your character, which is a, a pretty pretty miniature, and then your workers, who are meeples, and you spread out on this hex board. Your, wor- your workers collect resources, and then you, well, what, your workers collect resources, and then you use those resources to do things. That's very descriptive, Chris. Very, well, well done, well done. Yes, yes. And then you can introduce mechs, and you have four mech models. Each faction has its own mech model 
just like it has its own sculpt for the characters. And the meeples are all different as well. Yes, they have different sorts of hats. Yes. It's less noticeable and impressive, but uh, I did have one of the players when we played Scythe complain that my mechs were be- were all more awesome looking than his mechs. But I couldn't convince him that this should mean that they got a bonus in combat. Like, better paint job, plus one power? No? Yes, I agree. Yeah. It's got this interesting thing with the player board. So you, there are five different player boards in the random, and there, you randomly get one at the start, and that's, uh, that's going to combine differently with your character board, which is the stuff that defines your faction and where you start on the board and, and which empire you are. And each of the player boards has four slots on it. And each slot has two actions. A, a top action that is some sort of uh, generation of effect. One of them is producing resources using your workers on the board. One of them is moving your guys around on the board. One of them is called is Bolster, which increases the power or lets you draw combat cards. Uh, and another one is called Trade, which either gets you re- uh, a small number of resources or increases your popularity. And then on the bottom, there are four actions that use your resources. And all four boards, sorry, all five boards have the same four top actions, but in different places. And all four bottom boards have the same four actions in the same place, but different amount of resources. They vary a little bit in what the cost is. There are four resources in the game, metal, oil, food, and wood, and each of the resource-consuming actions uses one of those actions, but it may use two or three or four for the, the similar sort of action, depending on which board you have, and using the action will get you a default effect, but also a certain number of coins and the number of coins will vary. So the, the four actions are using metal to build your mechs, using a wood to put a few structures out on the board, uh, but the more interesting ones, at least as far as what makes this game distinctive, are, are upgrade and enlist. Because both upgrade and enlist improve your board. Upgrade, you have these little, they call them technology cubes, on your board, and at the start of the game... They are in the top actions, covering up positive benefits. And every time you upgrade, you pick up one of these cubes off of the top, thus increasing the power of that action, and then you put it on the bottom where it covers up one of the cost sections, or part of one of the cost sections, of one of your resource spending actions on the bottom. So every time you upgrade, one of your top actions gets better, and one of your bottom actions gets cheaper. The enlist does something similar. You pick this soldier cylinder up off of your board, and then you you put it on your character board, getting you a one-time benefit, and unlocking an ability that will trigger multiple times, hopefully, for the rest of the game for you. If you've planned well, it will trigger multiple times. (laughs) Yeah, the, the enlist ability, like I said, there are those four actions that everyone has at the bottom. When you m- recruit one of those soldiers, from then on, every time someone takes that action, and that's you or the player to your left or the player to your right, you get whatever the benefit is. So it might be, oh, every time 
someone takes the build a structure action, you increase in popularity. Every time somebody takes the enlist action, you get a combat card. And what you are doing at the core of this game really is managing these actions. You cannot take the same action every turn and or use the same pair of actions every turn. You have to bounce back and forth. And it can matter the different combinations that you have between the character and which bottom board you have because there's a fixed starting place for each faction. So that faction defines which two resources you have easy access to at the start of the game, which is going to affect which of the bottom actions you're going to get to use more easily earlier. But which one you want to use earlier is also going to depend on the exact configuration you have of your board. If you have one of those boards where one of the actions just always only costs you two resources, you might want to start hitting that one early. If you have an action that costs a lot of resources but has a lot of ability to be upgraded, to be cheap, well, you might want to hold off on that one upgrade it so you know you know oh now now building only cost me one wood instead of four now i can just build everything pretty easily once i've but you know once i've got that rolling you know you i'm going to be looking when i start a game of side that what my player board looks like and what my resources look like and see how that's gonna yeah. combine together and they all make really interesting combinations you know of the of the five and five so they're there's always there's always a bit of fun between them. Yeah, and there is so much going on in this game that I haven't even talked about how fighting works. It's very deterministic. You're bidding power and playing a card out of your hand. And you know exactly how much power your opponent has. There's exploring, which is a smallish part of the game, but is great. It's important right away because you it gives you a little kickstart usually. But there are certain spots on the board that have these exploration tokens. And if your character goes there and, and you're by yourself on that spot, somebody else is there you have to be able to fight them off but you you draw one of these exploration cards which has a a vignette painted out and then three options so it might have something like you there's a there's a do something really do something really nice do something kind of not nice and then do something really mean. Yeah, I mean, the middle one's usually normal. So it, it's like you might, there might be a picture of a soldier talking to a guy and then a broken down mech in the background. And then the options will be give the guy parts to help with his mech. Gain two popularity and a dollar. And then number two might be pay the guy for the scrap metal from his mech. Pay $2 and get four metal, which is exactly how much you will then need to deploy your own mech or that or less. But then the third option will be steal the mech. Like and it's it'll be like lose three popularity, deploy a mech. Yes. Oh, and and did I mention that every time you deploy a mech, that opens up a spot on your character board where your mech was sitting <laughs> that increases the movement or combat or otherwise abilities of your character and mechs. The boards are really awesome. They can be intimidating. There's definitely recommendations in the rulebook about when you're playing for your first time. It definitely may be one of those ones where if, if, if you're skittish about having new games, you may want to have watched the video or something before you go play it. I mean, I'm Mr. I, what? I can just read the rulebook and sit down, but. Right. Actually, the, the, on that. the watch it played for this is really good. Uh, not that 
I think Rodney ever does a bad instructional video, but he, he did a really good job on the, the instructions for this. So. so you get to the end of the game, and oh, how do you get to the end of the game? How did you get there? So there are ten goals to be had in the game, and the game ends immediately as soon as someone has accomplished six of these. And most of them are having done a lot of something. So if you have enlisted all four of your soldiers, if you have upgraded all six of your technologies, if you have recruited all eight of your workers, if you have deployed all four of your mechs, you'll get an objective. You win one fight, you get a star. You win a second fight, you get a star. After that, after that winning fights doesn't gain you anything inherently. Other than another player losing power. Possibly. Well, I mean... they. I mean, they can just choose not to fight you, and you lose Correct. popularity if you run off their workers. Correct. And so when somebody gets six of those, the game ends. At that point, you get points for the number of stars you've achieved. You get points for the number of territories you control. You get points for having leftover resources. Any coins you have are points. And then... There will be one variable tile that hands out points based on where your structures are built. Like, or it's like count up the number of t- tunnels that are adjacent to your structures and then get points right. based on that. You you know all that at the beginning of the game. For most of those scoring methods, for the stars, for the territory, and for the resources, how many points you get for that depends on your popularity. If you have been awful to the peasantry all game you are going to have a hard time controlling this area. And so you don't get as many points for each of those things. You you may have more of them because you have chosen to get resources or deploy a mech for free early on. Or I, I, by the way, the first time you flip an exploration, if it's lose popularity to like get a building or a mech or something like that for free, do it. Do it. <laughs> a, free, a free mech is, is always uh, a do it. You'll get the popularity back. You'll get it back. And so you, you add that up. I like Scythe. I don't know if it's for everybody. My, I'm never going to get to play Scythe with my wife again. I'm confident of that. <laughs> I think the, the complexity level was higher than she enjoyed. She is a person for whom adding giant mech miniatures to a game is a detriment. Did not help. Yeah, it did not help. And there is some combat which you'd prefer was not in a game. So she didn't like that. I think that I think if people don't like it, I would picture the most common thing that people would say I don't like about this is the combat because it disrupts the sort of just I'm building my my engine with my little efficiency action selection here. Yeah, it it, ta- it adds that that really really bad player interaction, I guess, but. It's really tempered based on the objectives. You know, the number of stars. You really don't want to, you know, an aggressive player who just likes to attack things is not going to like Scythe if that's all they ever wanted to do. Oh, no, no. I think you will lose horribly. Even if you're the faction with the power that lets you take... There is a faction with a power that lets you get any number of stars from combat. And objectives. But, well, yeah, but you can only, you, you, you get, okay, yeah, we, that's another thing I didn't mention. One of the ways you can get a star is completing an objective. You get two cards at the start of the game, and you can complete one of these objectives. The objectives might be have the same number of mechs as you have workers, or, which is not, not something I'd normally want to do. 
or end your turn controlling three different forest hexes, and then you complete your objective, and then you get your star, and then the the second objective gets just gets tossed. So they could complete both of their objectives. But it, I think, for for the most part, you don't want to fight early. You don't. I mean, maybe if you really want to get to the factory, which not only counts as three territories, but if at the end of your turn you control the factory, you can take one of these factory tiles, which gives you a fifth action slot. That's usually extremely good. So I really like the board. I really like upgrading the board as you go along. I love the exploration. My my absolute favorite faction is Polonia. Oh, it's the Polonia. Pol yeah the the Pol- Polonia yeah the, the Polish faction. Which when you explore, instead of choosing one of those three options, you get to choose two of them. two. So that's just great. It just encourages you to go do what I think is a really cool part of the game. So. The factions, I think people would complain about. Yeah, there's the one that uh, the one that encourages you to fight a lot, and then another really strong uh, one that feels really strong. I mean, they're all. It's one of those things where they all are extremely strong abilities, but it lets you take the same action spot over and over again. Normally, you have to alternate, and it can be pretty potent to just do the same thing over and over again, especially once you get a factory. Right. <laughs> but. All of the abilities are really good, right? It's it's one of those things where you, you look at the other guys, you and you go, man, that's great. Man, that's great. But they're looking at your ability and saying the same thing, too. Like, yeah, that ability's broken. How does how can anybody have that? Uh, okay, so I've been... that. There's got to be a shorter way to explain that game, but, uh, man. So what do you... Uh, <laughs> what I, I really enjoy I, I've, I really enjoy it. Did you have you played it on the larger board yet? I don't have the larger board. Okay, so the artwork on the, on the board is again as we talked about beautiful, but on the back side of the retail board is you know where they've taken it up by about twenty to thirty percent bigger, and there's an extra sideboard that came in the Kickstarter version that will be for sale later that makes it just so there's so much more room in the hexes. Because, you know, a lot of the resources wind up all on the board. You know, they're not in your own little player area. They are on the board, which you can take from other people. So, which is, again, really cool. Yeah, it was, uh, if you kickstarted it, you if it was included, if you got the collector's edition right, or you could pay 10 bucks or something to get this. I actually had not realized that even in the retail version, it was just going to be on the backside. I guess that just yeah. saves on the production cost to only have it one way. Exactly. I would have a hard time using that. Our better table for playing things that are not like two-player TCG kind of things is a little bit bigger than 3 by 5 and you could not fit five players playing Scythe on that anyway, on the no. normal board. No. I mean, you need a huge table to play on that big on that that's that's actually why I didn't did you see the Duchess Kickstarter? That was the yes, yes. The board it, game tables Kickstarter. Yes. And that I you know what? I'm gonna be moving next summer. I don't really need it, it they were much cheaper, much, much cheaper than the, the, the default price for game tables, but they were still really so it was just not gonna work out. You know, that's yeah. not true. I could have ordered one because I will have moved before it would be delivered, maybe. But maybe but I ended up not getting that because it was Still only three by five. Yeah, it was three by five. Amongst many of the reasons why I, I mean, that is a luxury item. I mean, they're cool, but that is a luxury item, not right. any sort of necessity. But yeah, it was still only three by five, and I'm like, you know, if I am gonna, 
If I'm ever going to shell out for a game table, I do not ever want to sit at that thing and feel cramped. <laughs> and the 3x5 is the play area, then there's the lip around, but especially with something like Psy, those player boards need to be down in the play area, not up on the lip where they can get knocked. Correct. I agree. Anywhere, which is part of the point of having a lip and then a play area, so you can't knock your... Anyhow. Uh, so I, I think it's really cool. I think that people who purely want a quote-unquote Euro are going to get a little grumpy at the... They have to worry about somebody marching in and sending all of their stuff. stuff. I feel like most of the time you don't build up a lot of resources. Because once you have four, you can spend it to do something. There are a couple objectives that want you to have a whole lot of things. But again, it's usually... And and where you place that is not going to be somewhere where people can normally very easily get to. And if you do that, you're probably not being very efficient with your actions. I think you get the most combat when people have kind of established their positions, and now they're looking, where can I strike to get a star? Right. Or, oh, I have to be on three farms to get my objective, and you're on a farm. <laughs> right. It is intentional. Right? You're, you're probably not going to play this without interacting. So you just have to kind of judge what's worth it or not. It also costs something for somebody to come in and fight you off. And it doesn't really cost you much of anything to just move off. None of your stuff gets destroyed. It just appears back at your base. And at that stage of the game, you can probably move it back out pretty fi- pretty quickly. If it's your mech, if it's your, if it's your uh, workers, they paid a real penalty for chasing your workers that. off. Because it's one popularity for every worker that gets run off. So your buildings that are on a place don't ever go away. They're still just there. And right. you still get the benefits for them. It doesn't matter that the other guy is on that territory. Well, the the you still get the benefit for on your your board, but you don't actually get like if it's the mine which allows you to move from it to one of the tunnels, you wouldn't actually get to move to that, right? Well, so, I, well you can move you can move from a tunnel to your mine still. Uh, I mean, you obviously can't move okay. from your mine because you're not there. Right? Yeah. And the mill, which lets you do extra production on that hex, you probably don't want to because you're just <laughs> you don't control it. the resource right. to your opponent. But you could. I think the important thing is that they're still out there for the things that score points at the end of the game. And you can get that. You can go get them there. You know, they don't ever get blown up and go back onto your board, so you have to rebuild them. Correct. But I think it's really cool. I would put it second in the hierarchy of Stonemeyer games. Behind Viticulture, which is astoundingly good. Yeah, I, I'm not sh- I'm not sure where I put it in there because again, I, I I love Viticulture, I love t- the Tuscany expansions that, that they've done with it. You know, and I played a lot of Scythe. I, I did a lot of the Automa playtesting, so the solo stuff. Again, just very puzzle. When you play an Automa, it's a giant puzzle of, and there it really feels like there's pressure on you from the Automa, you know, getting its stars out, and you have to really be efficient with your actions. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's. This is what I can say about the Automa. Um, yeah, there's some sort of Automa thing there in the box. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, so you you just played the the retail, right? Yeah. Version. Okay, so the metal coins that are in the premium and above, 
are very very nice. Again, you know, you've got you you've got the Tuscany coins, so they're of the same uh, quality and thickness, but they're different shapes for each of the coins, and they all have one of the factions on those coins of the d- different denominations. It's a nice feel to them. They're weighty. And it, it helps play into the whole, your money is open information, but you don't have to tell anybody how much you have. They, you know, you can st- yeah, it's weird. It's open information how many coins you have, but not necessarily which coins they are. It's right. kind of strange. Yeah, I will, I will say in the normal version, I and, and this is a, a very nitpicky thing, I was a little disappointed in the coins. Fair enough. In Viticulture, I have the I have like all the collector's edition things and the metal coins and and we use the metal coins because my wife likes the metal coins better and many of the other gamer folks, including you, uh, <laughs> like the metal coin. You adore metal coins. I do because I have a lot of them. A lot better. Or, I think it's the other way around. You have a lot of them because you adore them, right? No. Uh, both. It's a vicious cycle. It just keeps going. It's it's sort of weird because in Viticulture, I'm like, what do I even need these metal coins for? The the normal coins are great. There's three denominations. They're completely different sizes. They're completely different colors. They're super thick. They are hardboard. really. They're great. And th- the ones in Scythe are they're nice quality as far as the cardboard goes. And the ones work out because they're this very distinctive square with a with a square hole in the middle. Right. But the other denominations, and there's 3, 5, 10, and 20, I guess, so they can cover all five factions. Correct. They're all circles, because there's so many of them. The sizes aren't that different. You've got things like brown versus copper versus silver versus gray. So they're not particularly easy to visually pick out from each other. See, I didn't even... I have the metal coins. We didn't even punch the the, the cardboard for those. <laughs> <laughs> so I... Just saying. And then the realistic resources, which are in the collector's edition and above. Again, you know, Stonemeyer makes the little treasure chest box type resources. And these are actually some of the same ones from, I think, their second Kickstarter of components. So it has the wood, the oil, the the iron or metal, and then the food, which is a bag of food. Yeah. Uh, and they're nice resin little tokens. Oh yeah, the standard edition just has wooden tokens for those. They're all they're all different shapes. Yeah. They're nice wooden tokens. They're different shapes. They're different colors. They're uh, yeah. I again, it's one of those like do the resin ones look really nice? Yes. If if you're not focused on that sort of thing, will you miss those if you go? No. 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 I, 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 I'm not going to like get the retail version and go like, oh, these wooden bits are terrible. No, if you get the retail version and you didn't know about any of the other versions, you would still love the bits. I mean, the, the production quality, I think the bits are high. I think you'd be puzzled by the board. Like with the half board on the back of the board? <laughs> other than that. Yeah. yeah, if you flip it over, you're like, but where's the... I'm missing something. Because I was for a minute, and I until I remembered, oh, that's right, on the Kickstarter you could get the giant board, so it must just be on the back of the retail version, too. Yes. So, okay, well, that's probably more time than we need to spend on one game. That is Scythe from Stonemaier Games. The Kickstarter copies are, are just hitting now. It's going to be available at Gen Con. 
and I actually don't know when it's expected in stores. Because, I, I mean, it's like at Gen Con, but I'm assuming it's one of those limited quantities thing. I should probably yeah, I th- have... think it's, again, I think it's going to wind up being one of those after all Kickstarter backers are, 95% of Kickstarter backers are delivered will they go retail. That's yeah. one of the things I get, you know, Jamie really likes to do with his games and with his Kickstarters. He, even if it hurts him a little bit, he will try, you know, he'll delay the, the, the retail release to make sure that backers get their stuff. So, or at least that's the, the, the feeling I get or in the impression I get. So. Okay. So what, what do you have next? What I have next is uh, Stockpile. So a, you know, economic game, it's by, let's see, who is this by? This is by... It's not an economic no, game. Eh, just, it's a stock market Let me game, just say that. Know. There you go. That's just, I mean, come on, it's the name. I, I know, I know, BGC says category economic, but I, I this is only economic in the loosest sense. Yeah, well, one could say capitalism right uh, from the beginning, but... Nav and Navo games, Navajo games, no H, but Navu games. I'm probably butchering that all. You are. I I all up and I down. I understand why you're butchering it because I have no idea how to pronounce it either. But I suspect you're butchering it. And so it's a a stock market manipulation game where you have a portfolio of stocks. You get one to start with. Uh, you get some money to start with. And then everybody is going to have information about the stock market. They'll have one company and one action of what's going to happen, whether it's going to pay dividends, whether it's going to go up, whether it's going to go down. And then there's going to be a one public information, and then you get some new stocks. And you get to put a stock face up on one pile and another stock face down on another pile. And making stock piles, hence their name, right? And then from there, everybody's going, you know, you're going to go around for every, every player, and then you're going to bid, uh, on these stock piles. Uh, and if you get outbid, you get your, your meeple back, and it goes, you know, continues around the table until it comes back to you, and then you can build a bid on another one. And generally, the person who gets the last outbid, can actually bid on a stockpile for zero and get one of the piles really cheaply. There's some mechanics where the stocks will split, and there's mechanics where you can sell the stocks and get that money. But you can't bid if you don't have enough money to pay for something. And so it's kind of a balance of how how long do I keep this stock before I sell it? Is it going to split? Uh, is it going to pay, pay dividends? How soon is it going to pay dividends? And those those types of uh, of, of things. There's a, a slight expansion where it adds player powers, where there are characters who who determine your starting money and what kind of special power you have. There's a Warren Buffett kind of lookalike who uh, knows more about the stocks. There's a uh, Bill Gates one, uh, look a lot, kind of knockoff, and I can't remember what he does. There's a Martha Stewart knockoff who can actually look at somebody else's secret information. 
So again, that whole insider trading fun stuff. Uh, yeah, they're they're all based on a real. Yeah, there's a there's a Donald Trump lookalike. A uh, is it Kramer? One of the right. yelling. Yes. Stock and analysts on the on the television. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I think it's Navu. Navu. Okay. Shank. Navu. Yeah, that sounds about. That sounds much better. <laughs> Navu Games, and I apologize for. There you go. Now, is that is that you said expansion? Is that an expansion, or is well, that? I thought that was just like there's a base version and an advanced version with. It's. Uh, it's. I get. You could call it. A, it's kind of like a mini expansion. It's in the base game, so it's not separate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of more of the advanced play. The advanced play, you have the the player powers, but also the board is double sided. So you can flip it, like on one side all of the stocks are roughly the same, they all move up and down with the same values, but on the back some of the tracks are shorter, some of them are longer before they either split or go bust, and they actually, the values are different as they as it moves up and down. I, The first time I played, I played uh, on Tabletopia, with some of the guys in the group, and we had a blast. We didn't play with the player powers, and we played on the the every stock is the same side, and you know everybody had a good a good amount of money at the end of the game, and I think everybody really liked it. The last time we played, we played with the player powers, which which is definitely the way to go. I like the player powers a lot, and then we played on the advanced side or the, the where the each stock track is very different and i got utterly destroyed like <laughs> i did not even have as much money as i started the game with oh, that's not good. Uh, yeah no it, and it, it was and it was just again like like the real stock market in life it was just timing i you know i, I just got i i got dealt a whole bunch of the cards that were about to go bust and then you know, I, you know, I didn't sell them in time, and they weren't very valuable even if I had sold them. But it would have been something. But it, it was still a blast. I still had a lot of fun with it. I, I actually was Martha Stewart lookalike last time, and so you'd think with more information, I would have been doing a lot better. But I didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, now, some of the, the uh, investor powers are definitely better than others, but. Also, some of the investors just start with more money. They may actually be what Bill Gates' power is. He may just start with giant with piles of money. Bunch of money. And so, I, yeah, I, I think that the advanced side versus the, the basic side, there's a lot more variability. I guess, obviously, there's a lot more variability. But Player powers. The, well, really. the, I think you definitely want to play with the player powers, but it, it can really shake things up, not just because they're different, because there are now things that that split or bust very easily because they've got a very short track. And, yes. and so it, it you really, it, it changes how you interact with all of those different ones. I think that if you're like a gamer gamer, you're probably pretty quickly going to just be playing on the advanced side with uh, player powers. But uh, there are actual expansions out for this too. Like, like the, we have not played them yet. But they're, they just came out with an expansion called Continuing Corruption, right? That was Kickstarted, and I think those Kickstarter ones are just showing up now. They are just showing up right now, There yeah. also have been, uh, I don't know where you got them, but you get promo things. One is like Oprah and Tony Robbins. 
Oh, I missed I missed those. <laughs> and the other and, and the other one is um Moneymaker Mitt and Socialist Sanders. I can't imagine who those might be. I have no clue, but that's hilarious as well. <laughs> yeah. So I like Stockpile. I'm usually not a big fan of stock market games. I mean they're okay. I think this is so I I'm not super enamored of Stockpile, but it is definitely better than uh definitely more enjoyable, I think, than most other Stock market games, it, partially because it plays very quickly and and is very it's sort of like light and fun rather than a long market manipulating slog. Right, I and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's the time this game takes. You know, even with you know with a lot of players, you're going to have less turns. So we played it with five the last time, and we had I think four turns. So again, it's. You get that thinky vibe, but without having to spend, you know, three hours doing it. You spend, yeah. The stockpile from, what did I say it was? Navu? Navu. Navu Games. <laughs> Navu Games. Navu. Our final uh, game to talk about today is Isle of Sky, or if we want to give the full title, Isle of Sky from Chieftain to King. And, and we were... Going back and mentioning this one because the uh, the Kenner Spiel awards have announced. I mean, also the the Spiel the Spiel des Jahres winner was Code Names, which is awesome. And then the Kenner Spiel, like advanced game winner, the three nominees were Pandemic Legacy Season One, which I think is the best game of 2015, at least so far for me. Time Stories, second best game of 2015, and then Isle of Sky. So obviously, I did not want Isle of Sky to win, but it did. <laughs> I, I, since it was up against what I thought were the the two best games, that so Isle of Sky is a tile laying game. But when the game is done, you're going to have a a tableau of tiles laid out in front of you with some coast and some roads and some mountains and various farm things. There will be you know four or five scoring rounds over the course of the game. I'm I'm forgetting exactly how many and. Each scoring round, you're going to get points based on on the status of your tableau, and they the different scoring categories they change from game to game, but then they also fade in and out. So there will be say four different things about your about your kingdom that will score in a given game, right. and th- then there'll be you know A, B, C, D, and one of them will score in say the first two rounds, and then another one will score in the first and third, and another one will score in the second and the third, and and so on. So you're not just always building for the same thing. It can matter when it's going to be worth what. But the really the most distinctive thing about this is that each turn you are going to get dealt a certain number of tiles. And then you are going to put those tiles out in front of you and assign them some amount of money. And then what will happen is that players will then bid on the tiles that, yeah, <laughs> not bid, because that's the whole point of setting a price. Other players will then enter in order. You get to choose one of somebody else. You can buy nothing, but you can choose a tile out there of another player and buy that. So if you have a tile that would be valuable, you want to set a high price on it, potentially to discourage other people from getting it or to, to at least make sure that you get a lot of money, because if they buy it from you, like, you get all of the money. You know, giant piles of cash if they buy an expensive one. Giant piles. But 
Because you get your money back. back. Yes, you get your money back and their money, and it's so if you make a title cost twelve, then you're going to get your twelve back, and then another twelve from them. But if you price something high, you then lose your money. You you end up buying it at that price, right? Which you may not mind because the tile is good. If if the tile is good enough, but if you you overprice it, but you you get to put out the prices and and you can see. Uh, and how many tiles you get is going to vary. If you price your tiles such that no one buys them, then you will get your you effectively end up buying your two tiles, and then you may have bought another tile from another player. So you might get three new tiles. That's of course going to really drag a lot of money out of you. And there's definitely a catch-up mechanic in here with how much like it just right. It's a very blatant like here is just cash payouts. Right. Have some money. Well, because you, if you end up with very little money, it can really cramp your ability to do things. Right. And that can be what happens to the person that's in the lead. I mean, when I, I think the first time I played this, I ended up in the lead much that I, I just, I ended up with very little money. I mean, the catch up mechanic, I think I, did I end up, I think I ended up winning? I'm not sure. It's been a bit now when I played that game. But if you have very little money, you can't put much out on yours. So even if you have a great tile... You can't protect it. It's going to... Yeah, you can't protect it. You also have to think about what the other players are going to do because you, you're you not going to be able to snag anything from them, even if they leave something relatively unprotected. If I only have five coins, I you know that's going to be very hard. If, I mean, if your tiles are really terrible, you can... You'll literally, at that point, I'll be like, whatever is the best tile, you throw it away. I think you actually get three tiles, and you choose one to pitch. Yeah, you, And then you, you, you put values them. on on the other two. So if you don't have much money, you will take whatever the best pile is and get rid of it. Yep. Uh, you know, or you may just be willing to let, like, this tile stinks for me. I'm just going to put it out there with nothing on it and let somebody else have it, even though it's good for them. Because how good a tile is for you can depend on how it fits into the board that you've assembled. Which is an interesting puzzle to figure out how you want to connect the roads to make sure you have enough, the, that you're generating income, that you have the, the, the quote-unquote, the lakes, the water near each other so that it actually makes a, a full lake, the surrounding mountains and things like that, which are the different scoring types usually. Yeah. So what were your overall thoughts on Isle of Sky? You know, I don't know that it, I, again, I don't think it's a bad game. I don't know that, I think that it's a Kennerspiel, I guess, level, but I guess compared to the other two in the category, it, it kind of, it feels more like a classical game, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's, the tiling is very familiar. The, the differences, I guess, is the, the pitch mechanic where you get to destroy one out of, out of your three. But it wasn't a bad game at all. I just don't think anything really stood out and be like, man, I, I got to play that again right now. Not that I think I would turn down a game. It's, you know, it's an all right game. Yeah, I, I think as a, it's interesting to say, I obviously I, I liked the other two better. I think this is more standard as a Kenner Spiel winner. I, something like, I thought that maybe Pandemic Legacy would win, but Pandemic Legacy and Time Stories are are more unique sorts of games. I think that the 
tile acquisition method here is is pretty unique, but right. it's still a tile laying game. But that is usually what the Kennerspiel goes for. The Kennerspiel, it, it's it's not just the normal spiel this yards, but this is still a relatively large market sort of thing, right? These are not the, yeah. these awards are not just aimed at a handful of hobby gamers. They are these are aimed at a you know at a country that has a much larger designer yeah. game playing population. Yeah. And I you know I guess with that it does have a, a a much larger appeal than the kind of the while I think Pandemic Legacy and Time Stories have been super big hits, they are I guess more niche games than Isle of Sky. Uh, but I think I'm I'm probably in a similar sort of place with you. It's it's a nice game. It's not something that jumps out to me as great. It obviously does to a lot of people. It's up to 209 as its overall rank. Yeah, I was about to say 122, but no, it's 122 strategy. Yeah. So 209, it's a respectable that's, ranking, that's obviously. Very respectable. So. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I think you can see that difference there in the thing, right? Isle of Sky, 209. Pandemic Legacy, 1, right? But <laughs> Board Game Geek, as much as time as, as people like you and me may spend on Board Game Geek, Board Game Geek is not synonymous with the board game market, especially not in Germany. Right. So, and I, in fact, out of the three games in this episode, I prefer Stockpile, and which is a lighter game, and Scythe, which is a heavier game, to, to Isle of Sky. It, it was a solid game, it just didn't have a like a special spark that caught right. my, my fancy. Like, again, with I, I think I would choose the same too. Like, if we were only going to play two of the three games that we talked about tonight, then, yeah, I would do Sky and then Stockpile. Just... Because you burned yourself out, you know, thinking uh, trying to be efficient on side, and then just need something really quick. Not that you don't think a lot for stockpile, but it's a lot quicker. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to test this out tomorrow. When I not that we're gonna play because we, we we just like I mentioned we uh, there were several people who got sides, so our group had two groups, two last, two sessions, and, and it was so. two sessions of sides. Both yes. groups just played sides. And we're going to be playing Stockpile tomorrow uh, after playing Caverna. So yeah. there you go. So so we will we will hit that uh, longer Bernie thing followed by Slatter. I I wanted to play Broom Service, but no, we had we had to get the Kickstarter expansion for Stockpile. <laughs> <laughs> Darn you, expansions showing up in time for Friday night games. Yes, but anyhow, the, so Isle of Sky from Chieftain to King. It's uh, published in the U.S. by Mayfair. Designed by Andreas Pelican and Alexander Fister, so I, I think that is that is going to be it for us for this time. Hopefully, Gen Con hasn't happened yet. So if you're going to be at Gen Con, see there, Matt's not going to be. He's lame, but I will. I'll be like one of the two people in a strange assembly T-shirt there. So <laughs> you know, maybe one year I'll actually get to go and cry at the number of people that are around me. <laughs> there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people, especially if you're in the exhibit hall. Right. I, I hear that there are particularly a lot of people there. Right. Just one or two. Right. A few. Just a couple. But there are also a couple of games. Yes. And that that's probably the other reason that, that I will have trouble going, is uh, I will come back with lots and lots of things. Yes. I mean, the, the value of 
buying things at Gen Con is is in a lot of ways related to how much you want it right now. Because yes. most of the stuff at Gen Con, yeah, you know, I, you know, you, you can get like I okay, so Seafall. Uh, if you this is probably this is going to be after the Gen Con of episodes. People know Seafall is my most anticipated game of Gen Con, which should not surprise anyone uh, who's listened to this. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. <laughs> so your, your options basically like I can wait and order that. I can pre-order that online for fifty-three bucks. I can buy it in person at Gen Con if I hopefully, you know, trying to bum rush their table and be one of the first few people there and pay full retail price for it. So I guess maybe if if I had more easy access to a friendly local game store, I was getting buying games all the time, then it wouldn't feel like paying more for games at Gen Con. But since I don't really, I don't end up buying at such a thing, so I. It, right. it ends up being more, or you could pre-order it from their website, which is full-time retail price, but then you got the fancy coins. So you would have to pre-order it on their website, because that's how you get the metal coins. Ooh, metal coins. But well, I guess I got to go to a website soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how long the pre-orders are open, but uh, it, it, I mean the pre-orders will entirely will probably be open through Gen Con, so. You know, so they can. If people can't get it at Gen Con, they can still get pushed to the website. I I don't know. Well, they'll have they'll have iPads right there. You can pre-order it right here. They may. I mean, I, if I'm running the booth, I'm I'm gonna have. If I have only a limited number of a, a game, and I'm still taking pre-orders on my website, boom, I'm gonna have it right there for people to do. Yeah, that well, that the wireless is a bit spotty. Because there's a lot of draw on it, and so you 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 probably have that iPad because you're using Square to process payments or something payments. like that. But you may not want to try to chew up bandwidth with like somebody loading on a yours. Yeah. If I guess if you could take your information through the Square, you know what? No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. Okay. <laughs> no, right. We're get, we're getting way off we're, topic. We're on done. That yes. It's like go go back to the last episode when Jay and I talked about it. It talked about uh, John Gunn. Anyhow. <laughs> You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can find us on the usual social media spots. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can download this podcast from our website, site, from iTunes, from Stitcher, or anywhere the fine podcasts are sold. I'm plagiarizing that line from somebody. There's got to be some other podcast that suggests that it's available wherever fine podcasts are sold. I should probably figure out, figure that out. Oh, well. Give them credit. If you'd like to tell me who it is that I'm unintentionally plagiarizing that from, you can reach me. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear from our listeners. But until then, for Matt Sandlin, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.